Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com fool to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Roberto Brocamp. <laughs> Personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool. It's taken Hola. How, how many years of doing this podcast before I called you Roberto on air? Four and a half or so now. Too many. That's four and a half too many years. Yeah, I think so. Allison O. It doesn't work. In no. this week's episode, we're going to welcome back Morgan Housel from the Collaborative Fund to talk about how the aging workforce could have an impact on economic growth, your wallet, and your investments. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, it's that time of year again. No, I'm not talking about March Madness. I'm not talking about the beginning of baseball season. I'm not even talking about International Children's Book Day, which is April 2nd, the day this episode becomes available in honor of Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, also, why it, Hans Christian Andersen? Uh, because he wrote so many fairy tales. But why? Tales. Did he do something on April 2? No? He was born on April 2nd. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, by the way, April 2nd is also National Ferret Day and National Love Your Produce Manager Day. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about. No. What we're here to talk about... <laughs> kind of wish we were. <laughs> ...is Financial Health Day! Yay! Yay! It's an annual tradition here at The Motley Fool. We just had our Financial Health Day, our ninth Financial Health Day. Nine? Are you serious? Nine. Yeah, next year will be the 10-year anniversary. We're already starting to think like... Because 10 what? comes after nine. That I is did, true. I could do the math yes, on that one. Thank very you. Good, very Thank impressive. You. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so... Per usual, uh, the day featured really three key components. Number one, classes. We always have classes, either taught by fools or outside experts. Number two, the ability to speak with pros of some kind. This year, we had all our financial planners from Motley Fool Wealth Management, a sister company of the Motley Fool, and you've heard many of these folks on our show. People, uh, fools could make individual appointments with them. In the past, we've had tax experts come in and help, or you could meet with our HR folks and do sort of a benefits audit. And then the third thing, and perhaps the most important thing, is time. Time where fools are encouraged to use company time to accomplish personal financial tasks. And why are we talking about it here? Well, you may not have an employer that will allow the whole company to have a financial health day. I still think it's very important for everyone to do it because it is my personal experience that everyone has a few things that they know they need to get done, but they just haven't found the time. So if you can take a day off during the weekday, it's a good idea because a lot of what you need to do requires normal work hours, going to the bank, meeting with a professional, calling someone who's open, something like that. It's better, but even a Sunday or a Saturday where you devote the whole day to your dollars, I think can pay off. So what should you do on your financial health day? Well, I sort of hinted at it there. Just think, like what are the one, two, or three things that are just nagging at you? weighing on you, things you know you've meant to get done, but you haven't had that chance, that's a good place to start. But just to give you an idea what happens here at The Fool, I'll talk about the classes we had and also maybe spur some other ideas. So we always begin the day with breakfast from The Fool, just to get everyone going. We had Anita's breakfast burritos. They yes. were amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at 10 o'clock, we had Jason Moser, a former guest on the show, and other podcast hosts for other Fool podcasts. He taught about money and kids. So he's great about teaching his girls how to invest. So that's one thing you could do if you've been meaning to sign up for a 529 savings account for college. That's another thing you can do. Or think in terms of what you have to do to protect your kids' financial futures. And in that case, it's like life insurance, something like that. If you know you need life insurance, 
that would be a good thing to accomplish. Next class we have is estate planning. We usually have that taught from an outside by an outside lawyer because we do believe that for most people, you really should get professional help when it comes to your estate plan. So either make that appointment with an attorney, or at least do the research and the legwork, talking to people for referrals to get someone. A lot of attorneys will say that they can do a good estate plan for you, but you really want to find someone who focuses on estate planning with their practice. Uh, next, we had a class on budgeting and super saving from Naima Barnes, who also has been on the show mm-hmm. before. She taught budgeting, but also had a panel of folks at The Fool who are good budgeters. So they talked about the spreadsheets they use, whether they use Mint or personal capital. Um, we had Ross Anderson, an upcoming guest, who's the anti-budgeter. So he was up there on the panel basically saying why I shouldn't budget. His philosophy is basically just make sure you're saving enough in your 401k and your other accounts, and then just learn to live whatever, on whatever you have left over, and you don't have to budget every penny. But that's still budgeting. It's still it's gold-based budgeting. But anyway, so if you either if you have a budget and you haven't checked on it, or if you always meant to, it's a good time to do it. If you never signed up for something like Mint, you can try it. You can just Google budgeting spreadsheets, and all kinds of people have offered their own templates. My favorite website on budgeting is budgetsaresexy.com with Jay Money, who I hope to have on the show one of these days. Have you asked him? Oh, yeah. He, he says no? Well, so he only lives an hour away, but he's a stay-at-home dad, mm. so it's hard for him to get away during the day. But yeah. one of these days- You can bring his kids in. One of these days. That's a good point. Why not? Yeah, of I course. mean, gosh, we have a, this is like a playground. <laughs> Hannah always asks if she can come into work Yeah, with us, my so. kids loved coming in yeah. to The Motley Fool. Uh, so the next class we had top money moves for women taught by Megan Princefield and myself. Um, really, one of the there are a lot of reasons why women generally are not as pre- prepared financially um, as men. Biggest reason is women don't make as much as men. So one thing to focus on is your career, your earning potential, thinking about how could you make more money. The other issues are that uh, women actually retire sooner than men, but live longer than men, which is not a good combination when it comes to retirement security. So that leads to our last class of the day, and that was retirement planning taught by myself. Obviously, one of the things you can do on your financial health day is just make sure you're saving enough for retirement. You can use a retirement calculator. You can make an appointment with a fee-only financial planner. Take a look at your 401k. Obviously, the best thing you can do for your retirement security is just to save more. And I'll close with how I was preparing an article recently about financial regrets. So I found all kinds of surveys, asked people, what are your biggest financial regrets? And survey after survey after survey, regardless of the age of the people who took the survey, said, my number one regret was not saving enough for retirement and delaying when I started saving for retirement. So if you do anything else on your financial health day, find some way to save a little bit more for retirement. That's the type of thing that's going to pay off over the years in terms of thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And that, Allison, is what's up. Usually you um, give a shout out to Ron Lieber. I do, because I didn't really come up with the idea of Financial Health Day. So We had our first one in 2010 as a consequence of Ron Lieber of the New York Times writing about his own personal Financial Health Day, because it was 2009, and the New York Times, like many other businesses in 2009, were struggling, so they furloughed employees. In other words, don't come in, and we're not going to pay you. So he decided to make the most of his yeah. day off and accomplish all these important financial tasks. And that's, that's really what gave us the idea for having a company-wide financial health day. I didn't realize that he did it because he was furloughed and had basically nothing else to do. Yeah, but he made the most of it. Yes, he did. 
Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Grammarly is available on multiple browsers, Chrome, Firefox, Safari, Edge. I don't know what Edge is. Do you know what Edge is, Rick? It's a browser. And platforms like iOS, Android, Windows, and Mac. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar, whereas Grammarly Premium looks out for spelling, grammar, plus advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, and readability for different occasions. Grammarly works um, in most of the programs that I work in, so I got to have a test run of it. And so, for example, when I'm drafting something in MailChimp, like our weekly all-company email Which called is Buzz, outstanding. Thank you, thank you. Um, so it'll flag my mistakes in real time, and then it'll make suggestions. And since installing it, I have yet to send out a weekly email, a weekly Buzz to the whole company with an error. Or at least no one has complained. <laughs> and they do like to complain. It works with our content management system here at The Motley Fool. Oh, it's something cool. we built that helps us publish stuff onto the internet. And it works on that as well. That's so cool. Yeah, it yeah. Just, I'll, I'll just be typing in any random thing and it'll just start like... It's like it's eavesdropping on me all the time. Which in a is good actually, way. It, yeah, in a good way. Well, I was going to say, it helps you you know, write more, betterer. Um, but without being a <laughs> jerk about it. like It's really like... It's nice because it'll just, you know, it's not, you don't feel bad about yourself when you're using Grammarly when it's making suggestions. It makes you the bestest writer ever. Right? Right? So, if you want to see how Grammarly can help improve your writing, go to grammarly.com slash fool to get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. If only it could make me talk prettier. I'm growing older, but not up. My metabolic rate. joins us today. Hey, Morgan. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming back. So, you are with the Collaborative Fund. Um, however, longtime listeners of the show are going to remember and know you and cherish you from your days as a writer at The Motley Fool. Some cherish, some have other feelings, but that's okay. <laughs> no, everyone loved you. Did to you, know did you, you used to, to love you. Did you used to read the comment section? Because oh, I did. Really? Do people not like <laughs> The it? comment section to your article is one of the reasons why we turned off the comment <laughs> section. <laughs> I don't know how anyone could be like offended by your columns, because they're all very, like, I don't know, you common must, sense. And, you like, must not be familiar with how the internet works, then. No, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. So, well, we brought you on today to talk about the aging global population and the workforce and what does it mean for us. And I think one of the best ways to start is to talk about a bar chart. I mean, it just makes for good radio. <laughs> yes. So Close your eyes and picture So it. here we go. Everyone, close your eyes and picture a bar chart, if you will. Bro, you actually get to look at it. I have it on my computer right now. So here we have, it's a bar chart that you, you yourself created. That's Isn't that right. right, Morgan? And it shows the change in working age population between 1990 and 2019. And it shows uh, United States up 31%, China up 30%, France up 8%, Germany down, Japan down, Russia down. But down a little bit. South down Korea little up bit. big. But South Korea but. the overall story for the last 30 years is most big economies have seen their working age population grow. Great. All right. Hey, let's move on to our next bar chart. And this one shows the what is going to happen over the next 30 years. And where did you get these numbers from? Census Bureau. 
Oh, I hear, I've heard of them. They're good. I'm familiar with them. And here's and here's a bummer because all of the countries we talked about are now the bar charts are now going down. The bars are going down, except for the United States, which is still going up 13. percent And not just down, but but down down a lot. Down so countries lot. like China and Russia and South Korea and Japan are going to have massive decreases in their working age population South over Korea, the next 30 years. South Korea alone down 30 percent. The biggest story there, of course, is China which because largely because of its one child policy which has even been relaxed now but it hasn't really made any difference in terms of their fertility rate uh, is going to have a massive decrease in their working age population over the next 30 years over the next 30 years China will lose 200 million people from their workforce wow which is a lot that is a lot and even in percentage terms for China it's huge i think their working age population goes from about 1 billion to 800 million so so i get China because they had the policy the one child policy but why countries like um, South Korea, Germany, why are they declining as well? It's, I mean, it's lo- there's a very long history of as countries get richer, the number of babies women have on average declines. That's always been the case for history. And so a lot of these, the countries that I highlight are generally rich countries. Very different if you look at sub-Saharan Africa or whatnot, or India, they still have very high birth rates. But a lot of these countries that have low birth rates and low immigration uh, tend to have falling falling working age populations over time. Different for the United States because our birth rate for people who are born in the United States is not that high. It's below replacement uh, rate. But since we have a relatively high amount of immigration relative to France or Germany or Italy, uh, and generally on average immigrants have a higher birth rate than people who are born in the United States, that's where most of our population growth comes from. So population growth over the next 30 years is not big in the United States. And of course, when we're talking about 30 years, these are estimates and projections that are not only could be, but likely will be wrong. But I think when you're forecasting something like population, it's it's an easier thing to forecast than if you're trying to forecast the stock market or something. Because you know, even if uh, a new baby boom began today, uh, you know, it would take 30 years for someone to become 30 years old. It's not something that can change overnight. These things take decades for there to be a big change. So we can say with pretty good certainty like what population growth is going to be over the next uh, 30 years. The big wild card there in the United States and all over the world is immigration, of course. We don't know. Obviously, there's political winds blowing one way, but those could change you know, and start blowing in a different way. But that's, that's a big wild card yeah. in these forecasts. And also, I mean, the, what what uh, what type of workforce then? So, like the baby boomers, they're dying out, which are probably going to be, I assume, higher skilled labor than immigrants. So that's also changing the composition of the workforce here in America. It's very different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's a fun fact: the United Nations estimates that the number of people age sixty or older will double by 2050. Hmm. That's a lot of. And that's people. another big part of this as well. Is that one? Oh, wait, and I'll be one of them. That's right. All of us that's will. Me. Yeah. And that's another part of this is when your working age population declines. Very often, especially because people are living longer, the number, the percentage of the population that's in retirement increases. So then you have fewer working people who are paying into Social Security and government pension systems in other countries, fewer workers supporting more retirees. Right. And that's when the social systems of um, things like Social Security and Medicare start getting really strained. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've got, so I've, I've, Broke it out into three different ways that this aging workforce is going to hurt economic growth. So, so the first one I've got here is fewer workers just equals less economic output. Yeah, it's like the, from the very simplest question, what makes the economy grow? It's two things: it's more people and more, and those people becoming more uh, just, just better at what they do, 
becoming more productive. Those are the only things that make an economy grow. So if you take population growth, one of the two drivers of the economy, and it goes not only to zero, but it goes to negative 30% over, over a 30-year period, that's a massive drag on economic growth. Whereas for pretty much all of the 20th century for these countries, they not only had big uh, growth in their labor productivity because of technology and computers, better machines and whatnot, but for most of the 20th century, they had huge population growth. A lot of that, the, the baby boom that happened in the United States, most countries throughout Europe and even Asia had that as well. After World War II, there's a big baby boom, and that fueled a lot of the growth in the 20th century. And it's just totally different now over the next 30 years. But don't, like, don't we see now, and this is going to get into the discussion about AI and things like that, but productivity in the information age, increasingly we're seeing advances in productivity because of technology and automation. It's not about um, you need more hands to plow your field. It's now a computer can do your virtual plowing for you. I need to stop saying plowing. Rick, stop laughing. Stop it. <laughs> virtual plowing. Virtual okay. plowing. It's on the There's internet. You know what it is. Um, so, I mean, it's possible that when Gary retires, we're going to replace Gary with a Gary bot. It's possible, but the counter to that is the kind of productivity that we had in the 19th and 20th century was orders of magnitude more meaningful than the productivity growth that we have today. So, you know, the, the relative gains that society got from the car and the airplane and electricity, compare that to Twitter or compare that to Google and Facebook, which, which is, is kind of productivity. productivity. <laughs> it's a productivity It's a, it's a productivity killer. <laughs> yeah. But the, the kind of gain, like there are a lot of economists have made this argument that the productivity growth we had in the 20th century was this huge low-hanging fruit. The airplane, the car, and widespread electricity was massive. Even something like air conditioning, which you might not think of as that big a deal, it made it so people could work in offices mm. during the day where it wasn't that, you know, if you lived in Atlanta in 1930 and you're trying to work at two in the afternoon in August, forget about it. Right. Where something little like air conditioning has just revolutionized that. And we don't see those kind of uh, changes with the technology that we have today. And I, that's not like, it shouldn't be that pessimistic because there's a long history of people saying like all the gains were in the past, but we can't do anything else going forward. And then going forward, we we lap what we did in the past. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to be pessimistic and say we're never going to have something as important as the airplane. But for most of history, we've figured out something that's pretty cool still. Yeah. Uh, all right. Another reason why people say an aging workforce is going to hurt the economy is that older workers are less productive. You, Bro, what do you think? Well, well, I've I've read the articles that have established this, right? So some I mean, of us is... are not that much younger than Bro here. So let's just <laughs> let's be a little more careful there. I think I'm very productive. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, the, the, the evidence is clear that, that and to there's less a, productive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at uh, some studies that looked at different states. States have different demographics in terms of age, and and states with older populations. Have lower productivity. I wonder if is that true for both knowledge office jobs as well as obviously it makes sense for physical jobs that when you're 70 years old your back's not as strong as it was when you're 20. But is it true right. for office jobs too? Right. I don't. I don't know. I didn't dig deep into that enough. I do know reading enough articles. Like what one of the big trends now is instead of people retiring cold turkey, doing a phased retirement, and a lot of employers appreciate it because older folks show up on time. Mm-hmm. They're actually less likely to call out sick. They don't have you don't have to worry about them calling because their kids are sick. So I think there is going to be a change in terms of of employers appreciating the fact that we have an older workforce. That's wishful thinking for us as we I, enter. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but we think about our job, right? Like we have we have financial services related jobs. 
financial services industry is, a, is full of people who are working well beyond normal retirement age, and it's because it is a knowledge-based industry, and you can keep doing it because you're sitting at a desk. A lot of that, too, is the scars from the financial crisis made it so that a lot of people who may have otherwise retired today in 2019, because of the scars from the financial crisis, they say, I need to work for another five or ten years and postponing it because of that. Right. I, I often think about that when you see these things. Like, for example, right now, the, the ratio of worker to recipient for Social Security, it's something like 2.9 workers to every recipient. And then by 2040, they expect that to be down to about two workers per every recipient. But that assumes all those people retire. Stop working. Yeah. And, and we're already seeing the average retirement age go up to a point where I think in the next decade, two or three, it'll be well beyond 70 that people people will keep working, A, because we're living longer and they're going to realize they don't want to just sit around the house for 30 years, but also people just haven't saved enough. They have to work longer. And of course, it's funny to compare the, all of this to the the FIRE movement, the, the right. financial independent retire early. So it's like a barbell. You have people working till they're 80 and then people retiring when they're 35. Right. But we've, we've, had, we've had some of those folks on the show. And I think what we've established is that a lot of people are not really retired. No, they're just doing working jobs that they want to. Yes. And I think it's, they're just going to be moving in and out of the workforce throughout their life in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then the third one I have, which we've already touched on here, um, and the third way that aging workforce is going to hurt economic growth is, again, burdens on programs like Social Security, Medicare. I don't even know how many times I've Pensions. heard Bro talk about how, yes, you won't get all of your Social Security, but you can still expect something. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And not, <laughs> and not only something. I mean, this is a topic that I think Bro knows more than you and I combined, Allison. But my understanding for Social Security is that even like to make a big fix to where you really truly get it sustainable over a long period of time does not even necessarily require cutting the current benefits. It requires slowing the growth rate of future benefits. So when the pessimists about Social Security, even some people who think they're optimistic and say, oh, you know, you know, if the trust fund runs out of money, you'll still get 75% of your promised benefits, whatever the number is. That's what it is, yeah. Even in like a really bad case scenario, I think most people in real terms will be getting something similar to what they are right now. They just won't grow in real terms over time, adjusted for inflation. Yeah, I think it's true. It's actually, you could solve Social Security's problem pretty quickly with just a few tweaks. To the growth rate. Yes, to that. And and you could even just raise the retirement age. I mean, there's a combination of things that would be relatively painless. The bigger problems are Medicare and a lot of the state pensions. Yeah. And and local government pensions, city pensions. Those, oh boy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of those people are not eligible for Social Security. Right. They have a government uh, local pension and whatnot. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Yeah, yeah. They don't participate because they didn't, which is good while you're working because you're like, I don't have to contribute. I don't have to pay that 7.65%. Right. But then on the back end, you're relying. Yeah, you're all you're relying on your pension from your state that is now way underfunded. You live in Illinois or something, not nearly, yeah. Right, in Detroit, a lot of those folks, oh man. So if the pension goes bust, you get nothing? Well, it depends. So, so it, if it's <laughs> we, we haven't we haven't hit that right. Point so, if yet, it's like. offered, if it's offered by a government, you you could get nothing, or you just got to hope the taxpayers will bail you out. If it's a private corporation, there is a, a semi-private governmental organization that insures them, the PBGC, but that itself is underfunded, and you don't. Depending on how much you would get, you wouldn't get everything you're promised. 
So yeah, it's it's pretty dicey. So asking, literally asking for a friend, because I have a friend who is going to retire on her local government pension. Is there a place where you can go to see how safe and secure your local government pension is? Do you get statements? I because I know nothing about having a. Pension. No, you don't. You don't get statements, but you can find out how well funded they are. If it's a private punch, pension, it has to file a form fifty five hundred with the Department of Labor, and you mm-hmm. can look those up. I don't know about. Government pensions, but someone could let. I mean, that's all public information. I'm always impressed with Bro's ability to remember the number of forms. But here's for the like thing. anything. No, but, here, but here's the thing: he could have made that up, and you and I wouldn't know. That's, that's true. true. It's Did the, you just make that up? It's 5221. Yes. Go hike, hike, hike. No, it's, it's a good, it's it's a good the form. 5500. Yes. The bottom line is: save your money, kids. Right? Don't rely. Don't. don't well, rely it's on it's save your money. And have that little bit in your mind that that nothing is guaranteed. My parents recently started taking, not Social Security, but Medicare. They're postponing their Social Security a little bit longer. But they said that they always assumed during their working years that there would be nothing left. They'd get nothing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's such like a, feels like a bonus to them now. It's like, that's the proper way to set your expectations for retirement. Because right. when, when they're saving for retirement, they always assume that Social Security would be zero. And, wow. now that they, and now that they realize it's not zero, they're like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. Can I quote one of your articles? No. Okay, okay good. So we're going to talk about, eventually, in another episode about ways to be stupid. But you also wrote an article about ways to be smart, and it kind of touched on this. It was basically having the barbell personality of, on one side, being overly, uh, very optimistic, but on the other side, having just a little bit of paranoia. Paranoid, yeah. right? It reminded me of Andy Grove's Only the Paranoid Survive. There has to be a little bit about this. It's like, you know what? I just got to have some preparation for the worst case scenario. I, I frame it, too, as like the difference between getting rich and staying rich. And getting rich, you need to swing for the fences, take a risk, go out and try something different. But staying rich requires like a paranoia of conservatism and room for error. So having that barbell is really yeah. important. So but to go back to your question, if you find out that your pension, by the way, is only 80% funded, mm-hmm. I think the smart way to factor that into your plan is assume you're only going to get 80% of your benefits. Mm. That's just one rule of thumb. And plenty, of, plenty of pensions are fully funded and you're okay, but you just have to stay on top of it. All right. Thank you for that little diversion for me asking for a friend, because <laughs> I, re- I really am. All right. Well, let's move on to what the impact could be, um, I guess, more on the individual level and almost as like a consumer to some extent. Yeah. Because on the on the big wide macro level, there's going to be some bad results from having an aging workforce. But in my mind, I'm like, well, if there's like less competition, then maybe housing prices will come down for me personally, and that's a good thing. <laughs> Not that I'll need it at the time, but but like right now, like millennials and Gen Y, you're, oh my gosh, they're never going to be able to afford a house. Well, maybe they. Well, if there's less competition, I think the best the best comparison to this is to look at what's happened in Japan for the last thirty years. Because in the last thirty years, Japan's population, working age population, has declined. Um, they had a massive baby boom after World War II, and then their birth rate basically just stopped, like in the sixties. So and they've, they've, they've and come way down in the last yeah. thirty years. And they don't have they have virtually no immigration. Isn't virtually right, zero. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, and. So, and that's had a big impact on their overall economic growth for the last 20, 30 years. Big impact on their stock market as well. Uh, but if you look at their just overall GDP growth for the last 30 years, very, very low. But on the other hand, Japan has been, a, by and large, on average, a pretty lovely place to live for the last, yeah. for, you know, for the last 30 years. So just be, and the reason why that is, is because what matters to people on the ground, individuals, is not GDP growth, but GDP growth per person. Mm-hmm. And when your population declines, you don't need as much overall growth to split the pie, to split up in a smaller pie. And that's why Japan I think has, has been a pretty decent place to live over the last 30 years. So that and I think you know, that could be the optimistic 
let's say, spin on this, is that going forward, you know, growth in the United States and other economies might be, the headline growth might be lower than it was before. But per capita growth, per person growth might not be that bad. Um, and, and let's say, too, you know, if living standards tripled in the 20th century and in the 21st century they only double. Like that's still that's not a that's not a horrendous situation to think about. Yeah. So even though we're talking about lower growth than we had in the past, it's not necessarily a big cause for pessimism. I think if if and if certainly relevant to this show and, and relevant to the Motley Fool is Japan's stock market over the last thirty years has been abysmal, and a lot of that is because the stock market is driven by overall growth in a way that. Uh, people on the ground who are just looking at their their job situation and their house price and whatnot, uh, you know, the per capita growth is relevant to them. But for the overall stock market, that is driven by overall growth. And as that came to a halt in Japan, it's it's been pretty ugly. Yeah. How is the retirement, not that I expect you to be an expert on all things Japan, but how how is the retirement situation going for all these people? I know they're extremely strained because their retired population is surging and the working population is plunging. Yeah. So I, I don't know the details on it, but I know they got they have some issues. Right. They have a they have a, a more robust pension system mm-hmm. than we do. But if you're trying to invest, right, their stock market has not done well, and their bond yields are just crazy. They're negative. 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 They're Japan negative. Also, it's a very different uh, culture. Not that I'm an expert on this either, but I think their culture is much more tilted towards children taking care of their elders in retirement in a right. way that is not. Culturally expected in the United States, yeah, mm. and there, you know, of other countries that were we talked about in the very beginning of the show. I looked at the average retirement ages at these countries, and the the information is a little hard to get because there's the age at which you're eligible to retire, and then there's the age at which people actually do retire. So it was kind of conflicting evidence. But Japan is one of those with a low age that is going to have to move up. It's around 62. Mm. Some countries like Russia. The average age for a man to retire is 60. For a woman, it's 55. Same with China. And they are mandating that that has to move up because mm. they can't have all these people retiring at what is really a very young age. Well, that's, that's another part of all this. Of course, the retirement age has come up a little bit in the last you know, four decades. But when Social Security came about, you, know, you, would, you would retire at 62 and on average die at 64. So it was just meant as more of a safety net rather than a proper pension. Right. And not only that, but the kind of jobs that you had back then were by and large physical jobs. So if you had been digging ditches for 30 years, by the time you were 65, you were not only over it, but you maybe could not have done it anymore. And it's just very different with the average job today. Yeah. So that's another factor that could change all of this. Is you, you mentioned this earlier. If the average retirement age goes from 65 to 75, that changes a lot of the calculus here. Yeah. So you talk about how it's possible that we'll see the stock market impact, and we're not going to see awesome gains in the stock market going forward. Do you have any general advice for investors on what to do, or is there a way to industries to maybe focus on? I know personally, when I think about an aging population, I'm thinking I should invest in healthcare or something like that. But that's probably too simple of an answer. Well, another big thing thing about this that's relevant for probably most people listening to this is that a point made in this article is that the United States stands out as the country that is head and shoulders better off than most other Mm. large developed nations. So the forecast, and again, it's just a forecast, but the forecast is that our working population will grow over the next 30 years by less than it did over the past 30 years, but still going to be growth versus a 30% decline in China and Germany and Italy and whatnot. So I I think for for the United States and U.S. investors, this is a much less important topic than it would be if you were had all of your portfolio in the Italian stock market. Let's say I do not. That, well, I there do you not. go. <laughs> um, well, it's just so funny because we 
baby boomers are such a big topic in America, and you think about the baby boomers dying out, and it seems like, oh, it's going to be such a big deal, but you're telling me, no, it's not really going to be that. I mean, on an individual level, we are all very sad that the baby boomers are dying yes, out. all our and baby boomer listeners, please don't die. Lo- please. But on a they're whole... Still, they're still relatively young, by the way. It's not like they're all in their 90s. Well, it's a big swath of... <laughs> yes, it's a, I mean, it's, it's, a it's many years. It's I think the, 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 the last tale of it is just now getting their, into their 60s or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, but it sounds like it's maybe, maybe I don't need to worry on a macro level about losing all of my best baby boomer friends. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> but who knows? I looked. I was looking into birth rates, by the way. So, you know, birth rates usually go down during a recession and yeah. then recover afterwards. But that has not been the case since since the Great Recession. The they birth, came down and stayed down. They just stayed down. So, last year they announced that it was the lowest birth rate in America's history. Yeah, it's like sixty-two births per one thousand. And a lot um, of that is like still to be determined whether that's a permanent decline or if it's just millennials having a much later. If they're postponing birth mm-hmm. to a much later degree than baby boomers did, right. so baby yeah. boomers having an average, you know, the, the the mother would have their average first kid at 24, with millennials it's 32. Right. right. Particularly college-educated white women, it's like 35. Yeah. yeah. Well, because on their school loans, they're gonna pay right. those exactly. off first. Yeah. Anyways, I found an interesting article that found that birth rates were a good predictor of recessions because yeah. the the fertility rate actually starts dropping like. Before the recession, a happens. leading indicator. Yeah. That's, that's, that's funny. a good leading indicator. That's, that's funny. funny. Well, that that also reminds me of another uh, point that I saw of, of the yeah, yeah, it could be a good thing. Is that um, underemployed, like those who are underemployed or minorities and people like that, they will have a better chance for jobs and advancement when the labor pool gets smaller. Yeah. So that's another. Right. Yay! You're, you're you're always looking looking for the silver lining. We're looking for the silver lining. Well, so not to, not to mention the fact that I mean, the the planet hit two billion people in like the 1920s, mm. and then we're already up to almost eight billion now, and we're doubling like every 40 to 60 years, depending on which period you look at. At some point, we get, the planet just can't sustain that many people. Oh, yeah, I've seen the movies. That's when we like hop on spaceships and we go explore. We, we just rely countries. on Elon Musk taking us to Mars. Yeah, that's why <laughs> he's yeah, going to figure it out. He's playing the long game. He's Mars got is, it. is lovely. It's, it's, it's so just, lovely this just, time you, of year. You got to wear sunscreen, but you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, hopefully, I'm dead by then. Morgan, thank you so much for coming in today and talking to us about us. I feel much better about the world. Then my work here is done. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the show. I want to thank Morgan Housel once again for coming in. He writes and um, well, he's a partner, I believe, at the Collaborative Fund, but that also means that he writes for the Collaborative Fund. And Morgan is a great writer. So go to the Collaborative Fund's website and read more from Morgan. Uh, If you want uh, us to read something you've written, hey, send us an email. (laughs) Our email is answersatfool.com. We'd love your feedback and of course send us your questions and if we can we will tackle it on a future mailbag episode. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter. Sure. I don't know. (laughs) I never sell that one for good reason. All right. The show is edited eloquently by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. (laughs) 